Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. So this morning we're going to be reading from the first century biography of Matthew, which is one of four accounts of Jesus' ministry on earth. And we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew, which is chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. And I'm going to be reading this from the NIV translation. So if you have a Bible, turn there now, please. That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. And if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screens behind me. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is holy, your word is true, and your word is eternal. We thank you that you have given us your word and that you've promised that it will not return to you without accomplishing what pleases you. We thank you that you're alive, your word is alive and powerful, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, sharp enough to cut between the soul and the spirit and to discern even our innermost thoughts and intentions. We ask that you anoint and empower Guy this morning as he faithfully preaches and proclaims your word. And that as we hear your word preached, you give to us spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we grow in our knowledge and understanding of you and that we recognize how to apply your word to our lives so that we are transformed more and more into your likeness and ultimately become more fruitful for your kingdom. We thank you for softening and preparing our hearts to receive your word so that it takes deep root within us. And we pray all of this in the holy and most precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Megan. That's wonderfully read and helpful in terms of getting us ready. Happy New Year to uh, everyone. Welcome if you are visiting. Uh, We are going to be looking at the last uh, few verses there uh, in Matthew chapter 6 in terms of the forgiveness. We're, we're beginning the year with a detox, a couple of weeks of detox. Howard began last week in terms of one half of a verse, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts and the importance of what that is. Uh, I'm looking today at the other half of that verse as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, New Year is a time I'm sure some of us have thought of detoxing, getting rid of, maybe we'll have a break from sweets in my case. 
I've got a sweet tooth. Anyone else with a sweet tooth? England does good sweets, don't they? I mean, Cadbury's. Oh. So just having a break from sweets. I mean, my New Year's resolution lasted, I think, a day, to be honest. I mean, that's how quickly I went back to sweets. Uh, love them. And, uh, but you may have had, a, and may be in it, still a detox from something that you feel, I just want to have a break from fast food or break from alcohol. I don't know what it is. And that might do your body a lot of good. But the detox we're looking at today can do your soul so much good, so much joy, so much freedom. If you allow God's word to not only be heard, but actually come into your heart and allow you to be able to respond by faith to God's word. I don't know about you, but I can never read these so well-known verses without being shocked by how Jesus concludes the Lord's Prayer. I, I, I probably pray the Lord's Prayer most days, but the way in which it ends is very challenging. Verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wonderful. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Which, I don't know about you, but it's quite challenging. Because if you're anything like me, you feel somewhat justified to withhold forgiveness towards undeserving people. We're tempted, perhaps, naively to think that, well, maybe those verses belong to a special category of Christian. Maybe the gold standard Christian can forgive others their sins, whilst most of us, we just have to hold on to a bit of resentment, a bit of bitterness, a bit of anger, a bit of payback. But actually Jesus is teaching his church, he's teaching those of us who believe on his name, how we're to live in a way that is so countercultural to the way in which the world lives. And uh, I want to unpack this a little bit for us this morning by looking at the big questions that surround forgiveness. The why, the how, and the what. And it is a difficult subject to speak on because all of us will be affected by what I say. I feel in some ways like I'm tiptoeing across a minefield knowing it's so easy to offend you, for, to open up things in your life that you'd rather not go to this morning, you'd rather have it shut down. So please don't get too offended with me, please try and hear what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you in terms of something that you need to get rid of and be detoxed from so that you can really enter into the joy and the freedom that Christ brings. The world in which we're living is consumed with unforgiveness. It's a very unforgiving world that we're living in. If you think of the Ukrainian war, you'll know if you read your papers that it always escalates 
a bridge is blown up and then some missiles are fired over and then they've taken that region there before we're going to take it back and wars escalate and anger and bitterness go back and back and back and back through generations read the history of Ukraine as I have this week and you'll find that wow this isn't a conflict that began in the last year or two this is a conflict which has been going on and people getting back what they feel was taken and all the bitterness, all the anger, all the resentment towards one group or another. Think of sexual abuse with women, how the Harvey Weinstein sort of stuff has just, the Me Too movement's just gone viral. What is exposed is the terrible abuse, sexual abuse, the harassment, the rape culture of so many women hashtag me too and all that that entails think of racism in the world today i was very shocked to read over christmas a, a book that was given to me talking about london and talking about a group of people that over two centuries the biggest immigrant community in london in the 18th and 19th century were indians who were brought over by the East India Company to serve on the ships and, to, and often abandoned on our streets of London and died in their hundreds of malnutrition and poverty and cold so that we, white British, could make money on their labour and on their nation. Think of Black Lives Matter. Think of the horrors that have gone on for generations. And how many people carry the hatred and the bitterness towards people who have oppressed them because of the colour of their skin. Think of those shocking videos. George Floyd, 27 times in nine minutes. I can't breathe. And those who are there to help him are the very ones who are oppressing him. Now think of all that being just but the tip of an iceberg of people in this room who have felt because of their background, because of their nationality, because of the colour of their skin, they have been bullied, isolated, hurt, rejected, ignored, Think of the sexual abuse of children. That can be with parents, wickedly with parents. That can be with relatives. That can be in care institutions. That's even been in the church of Jesus Christ. And those poor, poor children who had to grow up to become adults and carrying the bitterness, carrying the hurt, carrying the pain, carrying the mistrust, how their life is shaped by these terrible, terrible things. And then think of the world in which we're living today and the social media world, this hidden judiciary in the sky which makes judgments and points fingers and cancel culture and everybody can be suddenly, because of their past, picked out and chosen. And It's such a difficult world we're living in in terms of these massive issues. And it's such an unforgiving world. 
The council culture is an unforgiving world. It's a moral superiority. It's a people who have taken the high ground and read the whole of history and make judgments about a group or certain groups. And so this issue of forgiveness and unforgiveness is a very real issue. I could sum it up like this. The people who would argue today against forgiveness would say this. Why should anyone be forgiven? Indeed, surely to forgive is to allow the perpetrators to go free to do it again and again and again. Surely Jesus probably didn't quite understand what he was teaching in the book of Matthew in terms of Jesus, surely you're not saying to let the wicked go free. So let me do some questions and just try and help us navigate this minefield as best we can. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will help me help you to understand this. And I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Matthew 18. Because it's in Matthew 18, I believe, Jesus gives us some very important helpful wisdom in order to know how to come into forgiveness and to release forgiveness to others. It begins in verse 21. Well, actually, in truth, it begins earlier in in 15 because in verse 15 it talks about the importance of righteousness and forgiveness. So everything I want to talk about in terms of forgiveness and unforgiveness today, you need to understand is rooted in the righteousness of God. God is a just God. Wickedness should be punished. There is a penalty to breaking the law, and Christians uphold the law. There is a righteousness that is in heaven and a righteousness on earth. And so everything I'm saying today is not that people who perpetrate wickedness should not feel the full judgment of the law and be punished because of breaking the law. I'm dealing with a heart issue today that is in all of us and that can ruin our lives unless we allow God to take out this shard of cold ice called unforgiveness and melt our hearts to know what his forgiveness is truly like. So why should we forgive? Peter says this in verse 21. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven now, Peter is asking a question. I'm sure there is, because we know the, the ambition in Peter, I'm sure there is a little bit of him understanding the law, the Talmud, the, the, the forgiveness then was you, you, you should forgive up to three times. I think that was quite good. Peter's obviously wanting to be a one-upmanship, up a little bit more, and goes for the perfect number. Jesus, do you think I should forgive seven times? How, how do you think I'm doing seven times, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, you need to understand you've got this wrong. This is such a massive issue, it's 70 times. In other words, it's not worth trying to even count, Peter, if you're to understand how forgiveness works. 
And so Jesus tells a story. And rather than read it, perhaps we, perhaps we tell it in a modern day way. Imagine Samir. Samir is uh, a multi-billionaire. He's one of the world's richest men. He owns islands. He owns uh, oil companies. He has stocks and shares. He, 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 he owns large parts of the world's real estate. There isn't a city in the world that, that Samir doesn't have some options in. Penthouse flats. He's, he's, he's rich. Very filthy rich. And he has an employee, a little lowly employee who works in the stocks and shares department of the whole corporation. And, and this employee has uh, got a few good ideas, he thinks. He's, he's into cryptocurrency. He's just discovered a new cryptocurrency and he's gone to Samir and he said to Samir, look, I've got a really good scheme and I think we can make an absolute killing in the next few weeks. Samir says, oh, have a go, have a go. Invest what you think is reasonable. And so he invests a billion pound in the scheme, only to find that the cryptocurrency goes bust. And so he returns to his boss, he falls on his knees, and he says, I've lost everything. Samir says to him, you must go to prison. In fact, it's going to take you, you, your wife, everything you have, your children, your future, everything is being taken back from you because you have wasted my inheritance. You have wasted all my money. And the guy falls onto his knees and he says, please, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And Samir grants him that forgiveness. But as he goes out, as he goes back to his house, he comes upon his neighbor. And last week, his neighbor had said, I've run out of energy money, and could you lend me a hundred quid? And so he'd lend him a hundred quid, and now he goes to his neighbor, and he says, I want that money back. And the neighbor falls on his knees and says, I can't, I haven't got the money. And so he grabs hold of him, he takes him to, pri- to the, the court, and he allows this person to go into prison. But his neighbors see all this and they go back to Samir and they say, do you know what one of your employees done? And he takes this wicked servant and he takes him and he throws him into prison. You see, how much does forgiveness cost is the issue that Jesus is getting at in this story. The amount that is owed is ridiculous. You couldn't earn it in a hundred, you couldn't earn it in a thousand lifetimes the amount of debt that is owed. And Jesus wants the people to understand he's talking about God and he's talking about the debt we owe to God that we could never pay. Forgiveness begins with God. The cross of Jesus Christ takes us to the heart of forgiveness. It takes us to the heart of Almighty God. You may have heard it said that God is a God of love, but you can never understand any definition of that love unless you look at the cross of Christ. I can't breathe could have been said of Jesus as he hung naked upon a cross. 
This was the God-man. This was the one who we've sung about over Christmas, who was born of a virgin, the one who is God incarnate, God dressed in human flesh. And Jesus goes to a cross, and on that cross he is carrying the sin, the hatred, the wickedness, all the evil of the world upon his shoulders. He's going before the court of heaven in our stead, in our place. He's the paschal lamb, the one who carries the sin of the world, and he's coming before the court of heaven, the almighty righteousness of his Father in heaven, and he is being judged upon that cross for all the sin, all the wickedness, everything we can think of and rehearse that's wicked in this world, Jesus is carrying into the courtroom of heaven. And as the world surrounds him, that world then, the world today, every generation, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus looks down and says, Father, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, what they're asking for. And to the penitent, to the person who beholds the Lamb of God upon a cross, to the person who bows the knee and says, Jesus, forgive me as a thief did on a cross next to him. There is instant, wonderful, glorious grace and forgiveness granted in that moment. Today you'll be with me in paradise, says Jesus. God doesn't overlook sin. He doesn't overlook the abuser. He doesn't overlook the warmonger, the person who's evilly treating a child, abusing a child. He doesn't overlook and bring the full penalty for every sin before the righteous judgment of judgment seat of God. He is a just God. He wants justice. And he'll have justice in this world or the next. There is no sin that will go left unaccounted for because he is righteous. But love is justice and mercy. The cross of Jesus Christ talks about justice. God got even with sin on the cross. And on that cross, Jesus carried our sin and paid for our sin once and for all. And there is mercy to the undeserving, mercy towards us, forgiveness to everybody who holds up their hand and says, I'm a sinner and I need grace. I need forgiveness. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his love in this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiveness costs. Forgiveness costs. It costs God everything. It cost God his one and only son. The darling of heaven was crucified because that's what forgiveness it takes. God is in the forgiving business. He brings us into forgiveness and then asks us, his children, to live in the goodness of his forgiveness by extending that to an unforgiving world. Can I just say this morning how I preached so powerfully last week, your only hope for forgiveness, your only hope for joy, your only hope for life lies in the naked man who hung upon a cross 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem and his name is Jesus.
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and you will be saved. Amen. You can know the slate white clean. Amen. You can begin again. Amen. That is the gospel. Amen. And therefore, understanding that, understanding that Jesus has cancelled our billion pound debt, Jesus then asks us to live out this forgiveness in the world in which we're living. So I want to sec secondly look at the second question. How does Jesus say we should forgive? And please open your Bibles to Matthew 18 and these verses. I'm going to help us just by simply talking about um, four Ps. I'm a person who likes to keep it simple. And these contain the way in which... God so helpfully, Jesus so helpfully says, this is how we can forgive others. Firstly is, is what I want to call proof. The king began to, set, verse 24, began to settle the accounts. And a man who owed him 10,000 talents, it can be described as millions of dollars in some of your Bibles, or 10,000 bags of gold. Can you imagine 10,000 bags of gold? How long would it take you to earn that? He was brought before him, and since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him free. The first thing we need to see is proof. The master wants to know the facts. How much did you borrow? How much did you invest? How much did you lose? There's not one penny that is unaccounted for. Forgiveness is not overlooking or ignoring facts. It's not a simplistic thing we're dealing with this morning. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. It does matter. We're not talking about something superficial. We're talking about something that goes to the very heart and core of how it's affected and shaped our lives. It's at the heart level that Jesus wants us to respond, forgiving people from your heart. So facts matter. The Bible is factual. Our faith is a factual faith. And there has been abuse. There has been covered up. There has been blame shifting. There have been terrible things that have happened to people and there have been pain and tears and loss and hurt. And forgiveness is not a simple, well, just forget it. Forgiveness is making a list, it's making you, you come to the very facts of what has happened to you and listing it before Almighty God, listing it of how you felt, what it's done in your life. Because unless you do that, you can't come fully into the freedom of having that completely cleared and, under, and an understanding of what that means. Abuse, wickedness, murder, theft, rape... Racism, they do need to face the full penalty of the law, but we need to be clear that it's not simplistic, our faith. God is, goes to the root of the issue, the root of bitterness. And the root of bitterness is where it's at a factual level. What actually happened? Not generalizations, not caricatures of people, but what happened to you? Proof. 
And then we come to this word pity. This is the most amazing word. Verse 27. The master's servant, the servant's master took pity on him. Pity is putting yourself in the shoes of the person who has hurt you, abused you, wronged you, done wicked things to you. It's putting your feet in their shoes and standing in their place. It's refusing to make them masters of your destiny, to refusing to make a caricature of their evil, refusing to make them some monster that they're not. It is to see them in the same light as God sees them and to put yourself in those shoes and ask yourself, what do they most need? You realize when you do that, you are a fellow sinner and they are in need of God's forgiveness as well as your forgiveness. I love Les Miserables, Jean Valjean. You are wrong and always have been wrong. I'm a man, no worse than any man. The line separating good and evil passes through every human heart. And when we experience hurt, bullying, abuse, rejection, when we focus all our attention on ourselves and only see the guilt in others, we fail to see the sin in us, the pride in us, pity. It was for pity's sake that God left the glory of heaven and came to become a man, that he might save us. Thirdly, payment. He cancelled, verse 27, he cancelled the debt. He didn't say, it doesn't matter. Boys will be boys. It, he takes an account of the debt, the billion pound debt, the how many lifetimes debt, and he says, he ripped it up, the debt. You're free. That debt has no hold on you, no power on you. I am cancelling the debt and letting you go. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. I see so many Christians who are still bowed down under their, their constrain them and, 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 and they don't, they almost like, I've got to pay back to God. I've got to pay back to God. I've got to live a bit better. I've got to do some things. I've got to go and visit some orphanages. I've got to put some money in an offering and then hopefully God will forgive me. No, God has forgiven the debt. You are free. If you die today, there is nothing, nothing, nothing any one of us can add to God's salvation. He's paid it all in full. He wants us to receive it, knowing he has cancelled the debt. And by the way, forgiveness in the Godhead is not a feeling. God didn't feel one day like forgiving us and then tomorrow he's not going to feel the same way. It's an act of his will. And so everything I'm talking today about you forgiving others as we're going to finish in a few minutes, I'm not looking for a feeling. We're not going to whip something up. To forgive another person who has injured you is an act of your will based on the cross of Christ. It is 
I had a coin, I have got a coin in my pocket. If you look at a coin, they have two sides to it, don't they? Every coin has two sides. The queen's head I've got still, and then something on the other side, a lion. If one of those is defaced, it's not worth any money at all. You need both. And the currency of the kingdom is firstly the king's forgiveness, and secondly, we forgive those who sin against us. That's the currency of the kingdom. It is forgiveness. It is pardon. Verse, he goes there, and let him go. There is pardon full and free. The words we speak matter to God. Not a feeling. We say to a person who's offended us, I forgive you. I don't feel like it. You're never going to feel like it. Please, the eternal God didn't say, I've got a real mushy emotional feeling today. I think you need to go, Jesus, and die. No, out of his love, out of his character, God sent his one and only son, not because he felt like it, but an act of his will. And by his will, by his decisive eternal will, the blood was shed so that mankind can come into a relationship with the living God. Right feelings follow right actions. Let's get that order right. So let me finish. But what happens next? There are two ways you can respond to this message. Two ways you can respond to God saying, we need to forgive those who have sinned against us. And the first way to respond is, get angry. Get angry with the preacher. Get angry with God. Get angry with the person who's done this to you. Act as bad. Get even. They've done that. They've forgotten that. They have done this to you. Well, you jolly well do something to them and worse. Pay them back and pay them back with spades and loads more than they've given you. Don't, don't, don't listen to this message this morning and think, oh, oh, uh, I've got to forgive them. No, 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 don't do that. That was, that's to let them off. Don't let them off. Hold on to it. Think about them. Prioritize them as you go to bed at night. Think how you want to hurt them and murder them and kill them and get even. That's one way to respond to this message. You see, the forgiven man is mind-blowing. Billion, billion, billion pounds worth of debt, and he's worrying about a few pounds? He's grabbing somebody, he's judging someone, he wants someone thrown in prison for a few pounds? Doesn't he understand the hugeness of debt? What's he doing? That's why Jesus is telling this story. It's meant to make us feel so, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. Because that's what God says to us when we hold unforgiveness towards our brothers and our sisters. Because the other way we can respond this morning is we can forgive. We can choose by an act of the will to forgive that person who has hurt us. They may not even be alive, but you've lived under that unforgiveness all your life. You can choose to forgive this morning. You can say, I forgive their name. If they're dead or 
if they're alive, I forgive them. Or I go, go and speak to them, I forgive you. And when they say, well, how can you forgive me? Because Christ has forgiven me. Obviously, the face on the slide behind us, if you don't know who he is, he's Nelson Mandela, uh, became president of South Africa, a wonderful man. 28 years, 28 years in Robben Island, in prison. Spoke out against the horrors and the wickedness of apartheid and racism that dominated that culture. Amazing, amazing guy. But that wonderful quote, I love it. Refusing to forgive is like drinking poison, hoping it poisons your enemy. That's the stupidity of it. Withholding unforgiveness today is like drinking poison and hoping the person you hate dies. Stupid. It's nonsense. Mandela's legacy is forgiveness brings reconciliation. It's the only way to reconcile communities, black and white, young and old, abuser and abused. The only way to reconcile is to go across the bridge of forgiveness. And so I'm praying to God this morning that everybody in this room, when they think of holding unforgiveness, and there'll be many, many people maybe the majority of us have been hurt and abused in some measure and have held unforgiveness towards others, family members, church leaders. It can go on and on, national leaders, people from other races. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit brings God's word and softens our hearts. And this morning, by an act of our will, we choose to forgive that person, that situation, and allow God's freedom to enter them but actually also enter us to bring us into freedom. I hate things that destroy people's lives. God hates it more. And unforgiveness leads to bitterness, leads to ill health, leads to greater tension, leads to greater evils. And it's the church of Jesus Christ that are the agents of forgiveness. And so that forgiving begins with us. I want to show you a video. It's a hard-hitting video. It's a true situation that happened in the world recently. A lady, a police lady called Amber Geiger returned home to her flat, what she thought was her flat, but was a neighbor's flat, entered into the flat, saw what she thought was an intruder, but actually the person who was legitimately allowed to live there, a man called Botham Jean, And she was a police officer, she drew a gun and she shot him dead. There was national outrage. She appears in court. People horrified at this great evil. And so she's in court. And her brother, sorry, the brother of the guy who was murdered, Brant Jean, takes the stand. And he's a Christian. And what you will see in this short video is everything I've been trying to communicate this morning. So let's watch it together. And the worship band, come up afterwards, please.
Lord Jesus, we see in that man your declared will that we forgive others as we ourselves have been forgiven. I pray this morning that people who have never known the forgiveness of God would know the forgiveness of God. The beautiful freedom that brings us from coming out from sin and into the life of God. I pray, Father, that many who have been hurt many who carry wounds today, many who've got unforgiveness and bitterness in their soul and just know that the Holy Spirit is, is poking around at that root. I pray this morning there would be a day, this would be a day of freedom. Deliver us from the evil one, we pray, and bring us into the freedom that Christ alone can bring. Amen. I'd like you to stand. We're going to... We're going to worship. As I said this morning, I don't want to manipulate or do anything, but we're going to sing a few songs because I think we need to put our attention on heaven. And after a few songs, I'm going to come back up and just lead us into a response because I think there'll be many who need to respond this morning and just feel the touch of God and, and step into obedience in an act of the will to forgive people. But I just want us to take a moment to, again, turn our hearts heavenwards and worship the one who is worthy of it all. So let's just worship. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.